0: Brazil, Latin America's biggest economy, is celebrated for its cultural diversity, vast rainforests and dynamic cities. The national flag bearing the motto, order and progress, reflects its aspirations for stability and advancement in a rapidly changing world. The political landscape has changed significantly, transitioning from Jair Bolsonaro's right-wing government to Luís Ignacio Lula da Silva's return to power this year. Under Bolsonaro, Brazil's policies focused on conservative values, economic liberalisation and a controversial environmental stance, especially in the Amazon. Lula's comeback signals a shift towards social welfare, poverty reduction and inclusive economic growth which he prioritized during his previous term in the early 2000s. But that's happening against the backdrop of global tensions, from the ongoing conflict in Sudan to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and most recently, Israel's war on Gaza. How will these international challenges affect Brazil's domestic priorities and its role as one of the world's 20 leading economies? The president of Brazil, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, talks to Al Jazeera. Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, the President of Brazil, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. You're here in the Middle East at a time when this region has been concentrating on the Israeli bombardment of Gaza, which has been going on for almost two months. You've described it not as a war, but as a genocide. How do you bring a total permanent end to this bombardment? Well,
1: James, I believe that what we're lacking is uh, sanity and authority on the the part of the leadership that are part of the permanent members of the U.N. Security Council. Why so? Because you don't have a, a body that can deliberate. No one respects their decision anymore, the U.N. Security Council. The countries that are members, permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, of the UN they decide to go to war in a unilateral way no one consults anybody and when you go to vote there at the council people can veto countries can veto so i would say to you that the world is lacking governance because there's no leadership in the world today if we had true leaders if we had a body that could make a decision that would be respected and complied and that should be the body of the un security council we wouldn't have this war because this war is a clear cut demonstration of the humanistic insanity that we see today we have a great group that commits a terrorist act on one side, and then you have the state that repeats even more serious than the terrorist act, what they're doing now, because of the problem is that we have almost 16,000 people dead, amongst them 6,500 children, we have 35,000 people wounded, we have 7,000 that are missing, and we have... More than forty thousand houses that were destroyed, hospitals destroyed. On behalf of what? And so the human being is becoming insane. The human being is not human anymore. He's not humanistic. We don't have heart. We don't have fraternity. And they want to democrat, We should demarcate the Palestinian territory and the Israeli territory. If the UN had strength and force, they would manage to have the coexistence in a peaceful way of the two-state solution. But the absence of command on the UN decision. Uh, making process makes us that we have since 1947 we
0: see that there's no peace I'd like to come back to the role of the UN but first let me ask you about Israel because Israel and the US is very strongly backing them in this says they have a legitimate right to self-defense we've got at least 15,000 Palestinians killed in Gaza over 6,000 children about 4,000 women is this self-defense no, eu, eu, eu diria isso.
1: I wouldn't say that I criticize to Hamas. I, cri- I made critique even knowing that Israel has the right to defend itself. But I believe that it's necessary that in a moment that you're going to defend yourself, you don't have to kill women, children and innocent people. Now, if you have a group and you be, you fight that group, the group that made the terrorists act, but don't throw bombs uh, where you don't know who's there. Where's humanism? Where's the UN Security Council on all this? Brazil 40 days ago presented a resolution proposal, and this uh, this proposal was passed by 12 countries. Uh, two countries abstained themselves. And, and Russia and U.K. and the U.S. voted against it and vetoed our resolution. We're the mindset of the world leaders that do not take into account that the war won't take us to nowhere. It only brings destruction. It brings more hatred. I can't understand. And we lack command We, we to sit down around the table with Israel, with the Palestinians and say, let's comply to the decision of 1947. We'll have the Palestinian state. On one hand, we'll have the Israel state, and let's live in harmony together. I advocate even that the UN should have a special mission there so that they could keep the peace and that their decisions should be complied. Otherwise, we are in a world that lacks governance. I could go out from Gaza and go to the environmental issue. We can have COP 1, 2, 40, 30, 50, and you make discussions, but nothing is implemented, truly. People continue to pollute. People continue to use fossil few people continued to have industries that are polluted and people don't do anything
0: mr. president I'd like to come back to the climate crisis a little later in the program but staying with Gaza for a moment as you say Brazil currently sits on the UN Security Council. It's coming to the end of its two-year term on the UN Security Council. You put forward that resolution that you just mentioned, calling for humanitarian pauses. The US, as you say, vetoed that resolution. It would have passed if it wasn't for the US. And then 29 days later, there was a very similar resolution, and the US allowed that one to pass by abstaining this time. By my calculations, in in those 29 days, there were 7,600 additional deaths 3,653 of them were children. What do you make of the U.S.'s action here? Well,
1: this is an answer, James, that sincerely I can't manage to understand. I can't manage to understand that a man is so important as President Biden, the president of the most important country of the planet, had not the sensitivity to shout out, to stop that war, they have a lot of influence over Israel. They have a lot of influence, economic, financial, military influence, and political influence, so they could have stopped the war and sit around the negotiation table to talk. The word is less expensive than a weapon, and the word uh, uh, kills less than a rifle, so a war doesn't lead to anything, so to wait and kill 7,000 people, 15,000 people, 7,000 children, destroy 40,000 houses, destroy the hospital, even children inside the hospital, and then accept an agreement that they could have uh,
0: accepted before. One of the advantages of being at the political top table as long as you have been, which is more than 20 years now, is that you know all of the key players. You know President Biden. And as a president, the record third term as president of Brazil, you obviously know Prime Minister Netanyahu, because he's the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history. What do you think are driving his actions now as someone who knows him, and what would you say to him right now?
1: I don't say anything, because effectively, as a ruler, he's a very extremist person. He's the extreme right, with very low human sensitivity. With not much sensitivity with the humanistic uh, uh, problems of the Palestinian people. the Palestinian people exist and the prime minister of israel thinks that there's just something that is meaningless as if they would a uh, third or fourth category in terms of people he has to learn to respect that the palestinian people deserve to be treated with the same respect that the jewish people should get and the palestinian people has the right to have their own land demarcated since 1947 and the u.n has to oblige israel and the other countries to comply with that with that decision and so I think that the Prime Minister of Israel is a person that I would say highly much pressure. There's a lot of people in opposition to him in Israel. He's suffering pressures. And I hope that Israel, that I met exact Robin, and I've met many other people from uh, Israel that had much more sensitivity and that could could work towards peace. Rabin was murdered by a fanatic and from there onwards things only got worse in Israel.
0: Israel's actions directed by the war cabinet led by Prime Minister Netanyahu have meant indiscriminate bombing, deliberate and repeated attacks on hospitals and the forced displacement of people from northern Gaza. There are many who say these are war crimes. Now, countries, led by South Africa, also Bangladesh, Bolivia, Comoros, and Djibouti, are calling for the International Criminal Court to take action. Does Brazil join those calls?
1: Well, I prefer to believe in the capacity for us to have a dialogue and find a solution. One of the reasons for which I came to Qatar today, besides dealing with uh, business issues with the Qatar government, was to thank for their role, the role of the Emir of Qatar that had a tremendous solidarity, showed tremendous solidarity to free 32 Brazilians that were in Gaza, and then another 67 Brazilians that are still in Gaza, and also to uh, re- release some hostages, Brazilian hostages that were in the hands of Hamas. So I also came here to thank the Emir of Qatar for the solidarity that he has shown, and The work that he did, sincerely speaking I can say to you one thing. What is going on at the Gaza Strip is not a traditional war of those that we see on films that we learn and read about. What we see is genocide going on, killing thousands and thousands of children that has nothing to do with that, women that have nothing to do with that, and destroying the things that took years to be built. And so sincerely, I believe that the state can't act like that. That will take us to nowhere. And I hope that we can find definitely a peace solution because the
0: world needs peace. You talk about the search for peace and many are talking again about the idea of a two-state solution. For decades, the US has taken the lead role in the diplomacy in this. They've said to other nations, stand aside, we, we lead the diplomacy on Israel and the Palestinians, and they've basically gone round the Palestinians. They've gone and done the Abraham Accords and ignored the Palestinians. Is it time now for a different approach, a multilateral approach to this problem?
1: Yes, now it's the time. Let me say to you, James, one thing. For a long time I've been saying that peace in the Middle East is not an issue of having just meetings of the State Department of the U.S. with the Prime Minister of Israel. No, it's necessary to put it around the negotiation table for peace. Other players, other groupings, all those that are involved in the conflict have to sit around. The Iran is, if they're important, they have to be there. Syria is is important; it should be in a round table, uh, and Qatar is important. Let's. Sh- all Qatar, The groupings from the Palestinians, they are important. That's bring them to the roundtable negotiation. There's no other solution. It's useless to demarcate a land and then the settlers, illegal settlers, come in and take that land. That's meaningless. So I believe that it is important after this war that we should make a more drastic act, take it more drastic act to avoid new conflicts in the world. The world is in need of peace. Of tranquility, because we have 750 million human beings that are under hunger in the planet. We have millions of people that are being uh, crossing uh, oceans to try to seek for survival and dignity in other continents. While we don't have the money to invest in these humanitarian issues, we have spent already in this war with Ukraine and Russia two trillions, two hundred and twenty-four billion dollars money that could have been used to serve to end their
0: hunger in the world let, let me ask you more about the war in Ukraine because you just mentioned it you have talked about a mediated settlement you've talked about a peace club of nations now you know the response from Ukraine and from the US and the Europeans who back <coughs> Ukraine they say if you were to stop the war now Putin would keep all of the things he's gained by invading, by breaching international law, by uh, violating the U.N. Charter.
1: It's necessary for us to ask how many times the U.N. Charter was violated, and the invasion of France and England did on Libya, didn't that hurt the the U.N. Charter, the invasion of the U.S. in Iraq? wouldn't it be a violation of the U.N. Charter? This war of Israel and Hamas, wouldn't that hurt or violate the U.N. Charter? What I think is many times it's been violated. You have a war. Russia says that Crimea belongs to them. And there are other four regions that were invaded that Putin thinks belongs to Russia, and Zelensky says that belongs to Ukraine. Well, instead of going to war, Why don't the people have a referendum, call for a referendum to ask to the people, you want to belong to, do you want to be Ukrainian or you want to be Russian, you're on which side? It would be much cheaper to call it less costly than this war to call for a referendum.
0: Wouldn't that encourage other countries who had territorial claims to launch all sorts of invasions around the world and and destroy the central principle of the UN charter, which came after what Hitler did uh, in the 1930s, Countries can't invade other countries.
1: It is possible Brazil was the first country to condemn the territory invasion of Ukraine. Brazil was the first country to condemn publicly Russia for invading the Ukrainian territory. Well, the war is happening. And so now how do you solve that? Continue with the war? Is that the solution? Because everybody thinks the following. Well will defeat Putin. Are you going to defeat Putin? Or are you going to defeat Zelensky? While the leaders are not defeated, the people are dying. And who's dying? The innocent people. And so people are innocent people that are dying. Who is is displaced in the world are innocent. So would it be worthwhile for the political leaders to lose their mental insanity and not sit around the table to discuss what is the cost of having one more meeting, or 10 more meetings, or 15 more meetings? What is the cost of these meetings? It's much more cheaper and more humanity, more fair, than start killing and throwing bombs in other, against others. Sicily, I can't understand that. I'm 70, 80 years of age, and in my seventy-eight years of age, I've seen a lot of things, and I imagine then the human being that is becoming responsible with the humanity of itself. They're ending with humanism. They're ending with fraternity. They're ending with solidarity. And we're growing more and more individualism and denialism. And where are we going to stop with that? What will happen to democracy for the next 20, 30 years if we do not give re- answers now for the problems that the people are facing today?
0: Brazil is taking over the presidency of the G20 from India, congratulations. That means that you're going to have the G20 summit taking place in Rio uh, at the end of next year, end of 2024. Is President Putin welcome, given that he has an arrest warrant from the International Criminal Court? Will he be able to come or will you be obliged as you are a signatory to the Rome Statute that set up the court to arrest him?
1: Well, I don't understand Uh, much about international law, so I don't have the capacity to make an assessment on that. But one of the charges that you have against Putin is to kidnap children. And now in this war between Israel and Gaza, we have children that were kidnapped. We have kidnapped on both sides. So Putin will be invited. Putin will be invited for the G20. And next year, we'll also have the BRICS in Russia. And I will participate in the BRICS meeting in Russia. And Putin will be invited to Brazil. He won't come if he doesn't want to come. Only if he doesn't want to come. Because I believe that, uh, judicially speaking, uh, possibly his advisors the lawyers, will have to say what he should do or not. But if he comes to Brazil, I will give him the guarantee that he will be respected and that he will not be arrested.
0: You mention uh, the climate crisis, and one of the main reasons you're here in the Middle East region at the moment is to attend the COP28 summit that's taking place in Dubai. As the president of Brazil and the incoming president of the G20, tell me, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the way the world is dealing with this right now? Well, uh, or James.
1: well, James, two important things. First of all, Brazil has took a public commitment by me. That is a commitment for us to reach zero deforestation in the tropical forest in the Amazon in 2030. This is a commitment. Islam was like a faith profession. But at the same time, it's not sufficient to reduce deforestation. You should remember that below each canopy of a tree is a human being that lives there. The indigenous people, fishermen, uh, rural workers that want to need to survive in the Amazon region. Uh, And so besides having a, a policy for preservation of the forest, we in Brazil were following our policy that is very strong in terms that to make us to produce all kinds of renewable source of energy all kind of renewables uh, even green hydrogen we are making great investments and we're inviting other partners to build this because brazil will transform itself in the a hub of the renewable f- forces of energy in the planet Earth, and at the same time we are tapping 40 million hectares of degraded land to be reclaimed. so for those that want to invest in this land and grow whatever they want, including trees so that we can reforest the world. So it has room, a lot of space. And we're having a, a true revolution in the next years on that, and this will de- take this will be a clear-cut demonstration to the people that, yes, it's possible to do it and we're going to do it. Mr.
0: President, though, is it going to be harder for you this time than in your previous two terms to get that done, to get other things done, because you're facing much tougher economic challenges and the political situation is different? Your election, yes, you were elected for a third time, but it was a narrower result this time. Do you face bigger challenges? (laughs) well in 2003
1: i had received a country from the hands of a Democrat ruler. President former President Cardozo was a Democrat and he handed over government under stable conditions and we had the facility to recover the restore the country. Economic speaking but now I received a government that was semi destroyed by a fascist. I received the government of a denialist, someone that did not believe in the national congress, that didn't believe in the senate, in the in the house of representatives, doesn't didn't believe in justice, in the supreme court. He didn't believe in any kind of institution. He didn't uh, have any kind of re- relations with anyone in the country. So I received a semi-destroyed government. Just for you to have an idea, the first year of my term, we had to restore 59 public policies of social inclusion that were destroyed in the previous government. And so this year, we managed to restore all these social inclusion policies. I traveled around the world a lot to try to rebuild our international relationship. And now this next year, Uh, we will present a development program. This is the largest investment program in infrastructure in the history of Brazil that we presented at the end of this year, and we're seeking for partners to implement our policies. I believe that we will recover Brazil. It's more difficult, yes. But if it was easy, if it was easy, I wouldn't have run for the third time. For I only ran for the elections because I was, in that historical moment, the only person in Brazil that was capable to win the elections. And I won the elections, and I will fulfill with each word that I made the promises vis-à-vis the Brazilian people to restore Brazil, to recover Brazil. When I left the presidency, Brazil was the sixth largest economy in the world. Now, when I came back, the Brazil was the 12th ranking in the world in terms of economy so we have to work a lot and hard to gather political commitments with other countries and so that's why i'm here and i'll go to cop 28 to say send the message that Brazil will fulfill with its share. I want to know who's going to do their share to because the rich countries, they promised $100 billion for the COP15 in 2009. Until today, we haven't seen this money, this fund that they would say. So we have to stop with the promises and start to
0: put in practice policies. Finally, Mr. President, you talk about your predecessor, President Bolsonaro, but he represents a brand of right-wing populism that seems to exist all round the world. You saw the recent elections in Argentina, much further afield. Netherlands, Gert Wilders, who's been around for decades, but is now, uh, heads the most popular party in the Netherlands. Um, and there is one big election coming up in the next year in the United States, and we know what you think of Donald Trump by deduction, I think, because you said Bolsonaro is a faithful copycat of Trump. So by that, I think we know what you think of President Trump. How damaging would it be for Brazil and for the world for Donald Trump to be re-elected or for someone who shares his ideology?
1: Well, let me say you something, James. Well, first of all, it's very difficult to give hunches of who's gonna be elected in some other country. The electoral result is a moment uh, where the people uh, shows up and make their manifestation. If if they choose right, it's good. If they choose wrong, they won't win. So what I think is whoever wins the elections, the person that the people believed in that will govern and rule their lives, Brazil will have to coexist with whoever is elected in any part of the world because we're not going to interfere in domestic elections of other countries. But I want to strengthen democracy. That's what I want. What I want is that the elected people enjoy the poor pe- people, they enjoy the working class. They want they enjoy uh, environmental uh, protection and respect to women and. The LGBTQ plus and so if we have the strengthening of democracy because democracy is nothing more than for you to learn to coexist democratically with the adversity with everybody. No one wants to be the same as you are. We we can be different, but let's be reasonable. Different but reasonable. We should be humanists or at least let's be at least democrats and live in peace for which we, who we enjoy and who we don't like, because this is what matters in our life here on planet Earth.
0: President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you very much. Obrigado. Obrigado a você, James.